I'm WFAE's David Borax, and this is R&D in the QC. Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston, one Republican and one Democrat who bonded as first-term Charlotte City Council members. Somehow, they both got re-elected, and now we're stuck listening to another season of this amateur hour bullshit. In the first 82 episodes, they talked to a governor, a senator, presidential candidates, and even a journalist or two. Their goal again this season, bringing Charlotte listeners behind the scenes of the city council in one of America's fastest-growing cities. I won't be listening, but for some reason, you are... R&D in the QC, episode 101. We try to recap the last 10 weeks that we took as a little vacation. No, okay. Actually, not that Yeah, vacation. don't do it. Do vacation it sounds like uh-huh. we've not been working. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not do that. Okay. We're still rolling. Mm-hmm. It's been two months, but we're back. R&D in the QC, episode 101. We try to get caught up, and we promise to be more frequent. Don't make promises. <laughs> Aspire Why would you to do be that? more frequent. <laughs> It's been too long, folks, but we're back. R&D in the QC, episode 101. We try to catch up on all of the stuff that's been going on. All of it? Let's just start the show. That's right, folks. It's episode 101 of your favorite Lost in Time podcast, R&D in the QC. Where has it been? Well. At home, quarantined. Quarantined. Um, It it has been, so we were looking back at uh, our episode list on iTunes, and our last episode was a special one with the new police chief, Johnny Jennings, along with Mayors Van and Gant. Um, All incredible interviews and ones we really enjoyed doing, but we didn't have a chance during that one to really catch up on any of the weekly goings-on that we would normally talk about on R&D and the QC. So quick, lightning round, just bring us up to speed. What's happened in the last two and a half months? In the last Anything? ten weeks. Yeah, a few <laughs> things. Um, and, and a lot of them have been covered extensively, so we're not going to get too far into the weeds. Uh, we obviously had the ongoing protests, uh, not only in Charlotte, but around the country in the wake of the killing of George Floyd. Um, that has, at least here locally, I, th- I would say the main outcome of that, well, there's a lot of outcomes of that. The main outcome as it relates to city council has been that we've sort of pivoted the, not sort of, we've entirely pivoted the focus right now. You didn't plan this uh, out the, in your mind, how you're going to talk. No, it the Safe you? Communities Committee um, is really doing a, a deep dive into all of CMPD policies, procedures, tactics, tools. Um, you've really, as the chair of that, you've really been handed probably the most material undertaking of the year 2020, I'd say, formal council business. Yeah, I mean, I would say the theme of, of anything that comes out of City Council 2020 will be two two C words, uh, criminal justice review and reform and COVID. I mean, it's those are the only two things we I feel like we've hardly been working on anything besides those two camping. Yeah, I doubt there's going to be a lot of camping or camping, camping is safe right now. It is, and, and I'm sure at an all-time and, high and, in popularity. And honestly, before the last month, I would have said – the coronavirus cares relief stuff was more was harder, but it, it had the benefit of not being overly political. But clearly Everything, that's changed. Everything's political. Right? So everything's political. Um, that that's true though. That is the two themes of the year. So even though we are sitting here on August thirteenth, um, and we did have a meeting this week, that's the only full council meeting we have in May. I mean in, in the month of August. But we will the Safe Communities Committee meetings are now every other week. Uh, we have a community input group we've formed that is 
giving us feedback into those committees. They meet on the opposite weeks. So let's so talk that about work those keeps two. going. Talk about those two because we all got to have um, input into how that how that uh, community group was formed. I've been following it from a distance. Talk to, to give us an update on what that group has been tasked with, what they've done to date, and how that relates to you, what you think the broader strategy of what you are kind of the mini mayor of essentially right now, which is which is a broader approach to the criminal justice plan of Charlotte. Yeah, so every council member uh, appointed folks to this group, and so it's got a, a diversity of perspectives and opinions and, and sides on this these issues. They're going through a review of a lot of the same stuff that our committee of council members is going through and providing us with those kind of community feedbacks on ideas, the things that the way that they look at some of these policies and how they think they could be improved. Um, what things you, you and I've talked about and I've, I've talked about extensively with anybody who's asked. And I think one of the biggest problems that both sides would probably agree on, maybe one of the only things both sides would agree on, on the police debate. And, and I reject the idea that you're either pro-police or anti-police. I think, you know, we... No, we should, no, no, no. You reject the premise that, that, it, that it has, has to be, one to of the be other. that Yeah, way. that's what I mean. Because I honestly, I, I only almost entirely come across people that are one or the other. Right, and I, re- I reject that it should be a binary thing. Yeah. Um, I think... But it is. As with the as is the case for all of us as individuals or every organization or every anything, uh, you should constantly be striving to improve. I think there is room for improvement in our police department. That doesn't mean we don't have good people in our police department. But, it, but they do make mistakes, and there are bad people in police departments, and we need to fix those things. Um, that doesn't mean that all police are bad and that everything is broken. Um, so I've been referring to the, there's a different phrase that's more commonly used, but I've been saying reimagine the police. And the thing that I do think everybody would agree on is we've put too damn much on police officers' plates. We've asked them to be mental health therapists. We've asked them to be homeless service counselors. We've asked them to be all these things that, frankly, are probably not why you know law enforcement was, was created at whatever point in time it was created. Uh, we have people who specialize and go to school for years and years and get multiple degrees and things to address those type of issues. And yet we've said here, police officer, um, you know, you're not an expert on this, but we'll give you 40 hours of training in it. And we're going to ask you to deal with that. That doesn't work for the officers or for the people that they're trying to, you know, protect and serve. So you're, you and I've talked about this ad nauseum for years now, but let me say it again, just for the record, you're going to solve that. Well, I'm certainly not going to solve it systemically in, in, beyond Charlotte, but I do think that there are things... Even in Charlotte? Well, I think in Charlotte, no, you're not going to solve any... We're never going to solve anything And back to, back to my... The, just so I tee you in the right direction, my point is, it's easy to say that. It's easy to do a one-time policy overhaul that, that reflects that, but we have a habitual line-stepping track record of coming in then and starting with, hey, let's do this right, and we end up piling more responsibility on their plate for the simple reason that is... We don't have the political will to solve up and downstream where the problems actually exist. They're on the front lines, and we just train them up and give them more responsibility and less pay, and that's how we end up doing every time. Well, I think there's a couple, and obviously these are noise ordinance, overly simplistic, but there's a couple of things that I think you could take off of police officers' plates in a way that is really easy for anybody to understand. If we were to put up, and, and again, we don't currently have a path to do this, but I think we could, 
if we were to put up red light cameras and speeding cameras and we could take a lot of the day-to-day traffic enforcement off of police officers' plates, that is a, would reduce the need for maybe all the additional officers oh that we think we You're need. You're bringing up red light cameras again if things weren't bad enough. You remember no, how bad that was? <laughs> no, but I'm just I'm making one example of something where you could, I get the point. You could it's take, a good point, yes. Where you could take something that we ask police officers to do that I promise you they would not miss if it was taken off their plate. We, in that case, you could automate it. But in other cases, if it's mental health stuff... So why don't we stop them enforcing the noise ordinance? Where we started a while ago. And make that an independent, separate thing. Because there's no emergency with that. No, although sometimes, in some of the instances where there are violations, there can be heated disagreements about whatever's sure. going on. So there could be. But maybe there are maybe there are people who are not sworn officers who can go out and handle some of those type of calls. And they don't necessarily have to go through... You know, the police academy, they don't necessarily have to have all the gear that our police officers have. And it frees up our officers to focus on what we actually want them focusing on, which is violent crime and things of that nature. So, you know, I I think there's a hundred examples like that where the officers certainly would be glad to not be dealing with some of that stuff that we've asked them to. And it could free up dollars for us to put towards, you know, health and human services type of approaches to it or automated approaches to it like a all right so assume i whatever. assume i'm with you on that premise i think that it the devil's in the details obviously but that makes sense go back to the citizens um committee, group. Yeah. right what what are they what are they supposed to be doing by kind of you know by by design and what are you seeing so far because I, I have a couple of opinions based on how i've been watching it well, I don't think you've been watching it because I haven't been watching. We part Not of it watching, was, but getting updates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so from the people that are on it, right? And part of it was they wanted to to have kind of a, a safe space to be able to have those conversations. We've created that for them. I'm not over. I'm not in those meetings, other than I did a welcome at the beginning. Um, but you're getting updates, right? Of, of yeah. What's well, happening. they are bringing like the updates are coming to the Safe Communities Committee. So. You know, a lot of the feedback that we're getting. But you also know several people, as I do, yeah, we all on do. it. And then yes. you're talking to them and getting kind of some more play-by-plays of what's happening, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously there's, again, a mix of opinions on this group. But I do think that they realize that they're getting into some meaty stuff and they're actually going to be able to... It's not just going to be look at PowerPoints and then we can say we told you. It's actually soliciting feedback. And they've even said to us... You guys have asked us to do so much, and we're trying to do it so quickly. We're probably going to need more time than we thought we were going to need. And they've broken out into to different groups to handle some different, specific, more focused topic areas. So I think they are really digging into it and are glad to be digging into it. And maybe surprised because there probably was a skepticism from a lot of folks in that group that we would actually give them real work and – really let them dig into stuff as opposed to just like give them some sort of rah-rah presentation and expect them to, you know, go and, and parrot it to the community. We've not, we're not doing that. And I do think one of the things that was maybe this was maybe won't seem like a big thing to people, but I think is symbolic of the hope that I have and that some of the, the community leaders have that there is sort of a change afoot is that in last week's Safe Communities Committee meeting, people will recall back in June, I suppose, um, I had come to all of y'all and asked for your support in CMPD trying to get fully in compliance with 8 Can't Wait. Uh, We approved that unanimously. Staff, CMPD, everybody's been working on this. The community group has looked at it. One of the things that Robert Dawkins from Action NC 
had really been frustrated by was CMPD had put out a thing that said CMPD already does all eight of these. Well, what it they meant was CMPD has some language in their policy that addresses each of these topics. It doesn't mean we are fully compliant with all of the recommendations. That was really frustrating to a lot of people in the community because they go, CMPD is just trying to like brush this off and say, ah, we already do that. We're, we're not looking at that. They posted this up online and a lot ah, of but were- the, the, But the, uh, remember the other side too, which is saying, yeah, we already do a lot of the stuff that you claim we don't do. So there's there's two sides to what the community well, and again, is, is either saying or throwing stones at each other on. I, at least, and I can only be accountable for what I say, but I had been very upfront that we were not starting from scratch. We weren't we weren't out of compliance with all eight of those things, um, but we had some gaps to close. But we also knew that the devil was in the details, once again, on a city-by-city implementation of the eight as it relates to how things work yes but for cmpd at the time to come out and say we're we're aligned with all these we don't have any work to do there was overly simplistic too yeah but that was in the middle of an all-out assault on them as an organization so be it it was overly simplistic and it was inaccurate and i think the thing that has given a lot of folks hope is that um, robert dawkins who is on that community input group as well had said to chief jennings and this was just I guess last Tuesday, last, yeah, that sounds right. Last Tuesday had said, you know, you got, cause we had Sam, who's one of the founders of campaign zero presented to that community input group two weeks ago and talked about where there were gaps and there were people from CMPD on the, on the call, I believe. And so chief Jennings uh, at the bequest of Robert Dawkins and others actually took down that eight, can't wait graphic that was on the CMPD website that indicated that they'd completed all of them. And he said, look, we haven't, we do have something, you know, on all those fronts that, that touches on that topic, but we acknowledge that we've got some gaps we can close. We've got some work to do. We've taken that down and we're not trying to say that we're there yet, but we want to get there. So, and so to me, that was a, a, that was symbolic of something much larger than the actual thing that it was. It was just taking down a graphic off the website, but I think it shows. So so what is the other side going to do next? But how is the other side then going to have a concession to find middle ground? Because it just seems to me well, I like think all were... I've been hearing are updates so far on one side giving concessions, trying to operate in good faith, and the other side continuing to take positions. Well, I mean, I think that there was an acknowledgement immediately from Robert and others that that was a big step in the right direction. So I think they gave credit where credit was due there. Ultimately, policy changes will be up to us. So I think... That's it's incumbent on us to. All right, so let's talk about this this part. Because, but I, but my my yeah. moral of my story there was that I do think it demonstrates that Chief Jennings has so far demonstrated to us a willingness to receive constructive feedback and make changes. And I think part of it is is makes sense. If any of us went in and took over an organization, we would want to put our own mark on it. We would feel like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna mold this a little bit more to my liking or my values or my whatever he doesn't necessarily feel beholden to the way things had been done because they weren't his way let's see if it's reciprocated is all i'm going to say because we've been doing the same dance for four years exactly the same thing so we'll see hey, let, let me ask this question so you mentioned the eight can't wait dude what's his name sam something or other i can't pronounce sam's last name but Fine. yes so i got as i'm sure you did a couple updates on how that meeting went I don't know this Sam guy from, from anybody. I have no idea anything. But from what I understood, his presentation, which was a huge chunk of their entire meeting, um, 
was very much uh, a, a, a case study of like, and I'm going to oversimplify and use my own words. This isn't probably how he said it. It was more of a, this is how you need to be defunding the police, essentially. And he gave multiple examples. And then as he got questioned back of, well, are there any examples in cities that are even remotely comparable to the size of Charlotte? The answer was no. But the premise was like, it was, it was basically, and this is my opinion of kind of where this, where this group is going. You have some people that are kind of floating in the middle. You have some people that are clearly pro-police and you have some people that are clearly anti-police, right? And as they're coming together, the pro-police side of the, of, the, of the aisle and some in the middle are trying to find solutions. They're trying to say, all right, well, here's a solution to that problem. And, I, and the sense I'm getting is the other side is trying to latch onto positions to take and is not trying to find the solutions. So as they go around and they, they hear that this Sam guy says, oh, well, you, you know, defund this part and you bring in a bunch of mental health experts that aren't police. Well, how exactly does that work? How does that prevent things in a city the size of Charlotte that you can't have an armed force of mental health clinicians that are going to be able to respond at, in, a, in a timely basis? And no, so as it's being brought up, okay, so how do we solve Wait, why, that? It's why? more like, no, we need less police and more mental health people. That's a position. That is not a solution. It is if you fill in the details. Why couldn't well, we? Exactly, but no one's trying to, and I haven't heard one logical explanation of how you do that. Well, then, but what's the, then what is, the what solution is being proposed by the, you know, don't move money out of the police budget into other things? Well, that's assuming there's a problem in that part. Well, I do think, I mean. That's assuming, because right now, as, I've, as it's been explained to me, in the mental health um, um, industry, for those practitioners, they will not enter a hostile situation until it's been it's until it's been secured. There is no scenario that some mental health expert is going to run around and fill the role of a cop. They're just not no, going to. But I think that if they and we could have a team of mental health folks, and and I assume that the county would be a part of that too. You could have a team of people to do that. My wife literally did that with the Durham Police Department. She was not a sworn right. officer, but she went with a sworn officer. But she didn't lead in her way into an unsecured house. No, she wasn't kicking a door down. But I think that, like, to make sure that there is someone there who is more highly trained to deal with that person in that moment, then you don't end up in a situation. We know... Uh, but was she... Even when, the, even when this police had not secured someone with a knife, would they have put her in front of them? No, maybe she talked to them from outside the house or something. But my, my point is, we know that Keith Lamont Scott had a uh, traumatic brain injury. Do you think that if someone like my wife or any other tra highly trained professional had been there in that situation, had been able to be called in to assist or to give it give advice to the officers who were dealing with the situation or whatever, no, she's not going to walk up to Keith Lamont Scott who's holding a gun. And no. But and here's why. you don't think that could have yielded a better outcome? No, I don't. I'm guessing no one can know, but here's well, no, why I, mean, I would say no, because, and it's the exact same reason why one of the eight can't wait, um, exhaust all options or whatever that one is, 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 is a real challenge. And that is you are presented in each one of these scenarios with a potentially life threatening situation to the person or to yourself every time you enter these things and time can be 10 minutes. It can be 10 seconds. So if your exhaust all options is to call the 
three mental health clinicians that you have right as you roll up there to somehow make their way to your part of town in an immediate sense. Well, three and people in, in Charlotte-Mecklenburg would obviously not work. But How many does but it, it take? But Keith Lamont Scott. A thousand? Well, I mean, that we have well over a thousand sworn officers. I don't, I don't propose we'd have an equally sized team of mental health therapists, but I think... If you you're going to talk about a couple response dozen time or having and exhausting all options before taking lethal force, you have to think of them the same way we think about normal police officers and firefighters, which is how many do we have, how do we set them up, and how fast are they going to get there? Yes. But uh, also, Keith Lamont Scott didn't play out in 10 seconds. And in a 10-second scenario, maybe that person isn't of any, any help in terms of creating a better outcome. But in a 10-minute scenario, which is much more like what I think the Keith Lamont Scott situation was, and it was probably even longer than that. And again, so one example, we have no way to know what happened. let's assume they get there in the 10 minutes. Let's assume <clears> they get there, okay? They're not going to be anywhere near the action. They can't be. That's just not, a, like, they, until they secure the, the suspect. My wife had a bulletproof vest in Durham. Well, your wife's a badass. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, my point is that, like, no, they're not going to be, like, approaching him in that moment. But I think that if they can advise how... If they have a better understanding of traumatic brain injury, and again, we're using one example. There's every situation. So, is so maybe, unique. so maybe the answer is like, so, so they would have had. I mean, it's a virtual world, and there are cameras live. There could be a command center of mental health experts that are talking in the ears of folks, right? While they're pulling up medical yeah. records of folks and yeah. things like that. So, See? so maybe yes. I mean, yes. so again, but that's just the difference between a position and a solution. Well, position leads to finding a solution. It I does think. if you want to. It doesn't if you're on the attack and you want to win. And that, that is the problem. So, again, none of this, I mean, yes, all of these things are... I like this idea, by the way. All these we things, should explore that. All these things are an inch deep in terms of, like, your first glance at them of, like, police shouldn't be maybe our first line of, of approach to folks experiencing homelessness, many of whom have substance and mental health issues. That's not a solution. That is identifying a problem, and then you've then got to go find a solution or identifying a disconnect or a, a opportunity for improvement. So again, the whole thing is is that, that we've now covered one of like fifty things. <laughs> and we didn't even go as deep on that as we could have. So suffice it to say, we have our work cut out for us. Um, what else? But I do feel like that the timing is good. I think with a new chief, um, he is more open to change than any any other chief would. I mean, Putney, but I'm not saying Putney specifically. Um, anybody who it was their he department, has a window it was their of which he is probably time more open yes. to things. I <clears throat> personally, if if we and I've said this in a meeting before, if we attempt to do a 2016 post post Keith Lamont Scott overhaul for four years, that in in this approach. We will have missed the mark entirely. I think there are tweaks around the edges of certain things, not major overhauls. We'll never be done with anything that we work on at the city entirely. But I do think that, like, we are looking at this as something that we are going to try to work through the, the whole list, as it were, of topics to cover and things to analyze and, and review in the next four months or so, certainly by the end of the year. So, um and again, there will be, you know, we're ongoing, always looking at, at improving things. But I think as far as this kind of holistic oh. overview, this is something we're trying to do quickly and and frankly do while there's momentum uh, behind Dana, it. Dana Fenton just texted me something in relation to this. He's our government relations. He said, congratulations on the appointment. It looks like Speaker Tim Moore 
has just announced a community relations law enforcement and justice committee um, statewide. It's mostly, um, as it was explained to me before when they called me about it a couple weeks ago, it's mostly uh, members of the General Assembly, but they wanted a couple people from around the state that weren't in the uh, NCGA, so I have been appointed to it. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. Wow, this is a good list of folks, too. Um, cool. Oh, good. So now, now you'll fix it. So I'll fix it from the uh, top-down perspective. And you take care of it. From well, thankfully, the- Tim Moore is not in charge of CMPD policies. Um, so We'll see. Now it's, uh, we'll see. Is, it, is the liberal approach or the conservative approach going to solve it first? We'll see if he's still speaker after November. <laughs> but... Um, what next? Uh, that's one topic. What else has been big lately? Yeah, well, this whole coronavirus thing. We have to go faster on the rest of these topics. Yeah, There's we no definitely way. do. Um, well, you can speak more specifically, given that you're both on the Economic Development Committee and you were on the Small Business Task Force. We have, just as of maybe a week, two weeks ago, put a bow on all three of our COVID-related task forces now and put stuff kind of past um, things out of those task forces, but also referred some things back to our normal standing committees. Yeah. So I do want to make sure that we talk about particularly, and this is timely because we talked about it. We really kind of did it on Monday. We, and you fill in the details and correct anything I get wrong here, but the, the access to capital, we have opened it up to people who had gotten PPP previously, which before now we had not allowed if you'd gotten PPP. So we've opened this up to more businesses. that will be eligible for the access to capital. Now we also created a $8 million pool of uh, grants is that the right word for hospitality industry and uh, restaurants yeah well that is well, i mean it's hotels and yeah hosp- and restaurants all that's hospitality umbrella so but they're two separate there's like one yes. one for each so we've got we, we've expanded and extended some of the programs that existed we've created some new programs Here's so i actually do feel good about what we've done there and as well as housing and i i think that we did as good a job as could be expected on trying to well, I'll say I was on the housing task force and the airport task force. I think all of this was stuff we none of it. We're all walking in blind to a situation that no one could have expected or no one could get the response to perfect. But I generally think that the city has done a pretty good job of trying to extend a helping hand to people who have housing insecurity, people whose businesses are are, mm. ta- are hurting right now. Um, to I think make sure that our airport been, is stable going I forward. I think there have been massive attempts by a couple, by a bunch of really smart people, primarily in staff, but also in the private sector and elsewhere, who have given it their best shot. And I think ultimately politics has overshadowed a lot of the great work. And we went from essentially industry-leading uh, um, recovery approaches and innovations to a more watered down, like, all right, then we just did what we could. Well, and one of the things that obviously would be absurd for us not to bring up is that, uh, and probably the thing that if anybody's been reading about the efforts of Small Business Task Force leading into what is now the, I can't ever remember the new name of the Economic Development Committee, Mm. um, Workforce Workforce and Business Business Development. WBDs. I remember it because like WMDs. Um, that's more what it felt like the last couple of weeks. Indeed. But, um, Trust me. <laughs> I know. But there was a program created, or we, we were expanding on a program you already had, the Carolina FinTech. We don't um, need to over-review the whole yeah. thing. Ask me some questions. Everyone that freaking listens to our podcast certainly knows about this. Yes. So, ultimately, you guys are out on that, and they're trying to figure out some other thing to fill well, the Well, so gap. I got some good news I can announce here that nobody knows yet. 
Well, so my question first before you announce the good news, uh, yeah. as far as people have yeah. asked me, they've said, you know, what was the deal here? The, was yeah, there, what did you say to people? Well, that look, I, I'm i not on the did small Did you business. get your buddies back or did you throw your Republican colleague under the bus? Which one? Neither necessarily. A little both. <laughs> little both. E- neither or both. I'm not sure which. But no, it was, to, first of all, I wasn't on the small business task force. I'm not on the workforce and business development committee. So I was not in the weeds on this, though I'm aware of the programs you do and, and all that. The, the fact is, I don't have to decide whether or not it was above board because the city attorney did, and he said it was. And the city manager did, and he said it was. And so, like, I also know you. I know the Carolina FinTech Hub, and I know y'all's program. So I didn't have any doubt that there was something nefarious there. Now, that didn't mean I, I could feel certain that there wasn't a mistake made in how it was handled, but the city and the attorney and the city manager have said there wasn't. So I, I take them at their word on that. To me, the, the miss and the thing I've said that, in hindsight, if you could go back and do it over, I assume we would do differently, is that whether it was you or staff or the rest of those committees or task forces or anybody that was involved in this process at any point should have said, you know, I could see a scenario where this gets politicized and someone says, hey, wait, that seems like a conflict of interest. And I wish that if we could rewind two months, somebody would have gone, hey, just so everybody knows, this is the path we're going down, and we could see how this could look strange. We want to explain why it is completely above board and make sure everybody's comfortable with it in advance so that there's not the opportunity later for someone to politicize it and try to make it look bad. But but even so... Would you... In, in, if you could go I, back I two know, months, I would you have what, done that? What would I have done? Just been I like, hey, everybody, do. let's all look at this and talk about it we now. We did that. We literally did that. That well, was my well, whole point. I'll tell you the rest account. I mean, there is video those, of the, people I know. in committees, but the rest not of just us, saying they knew it, but praising it and recommending it. The, it was completely yes, political. But the rest of us on council who aren't on those oh, well, economic okay, committees okay, didn't, sure. didn't. Other than Braxton, who literally was paying attention, yeah. and knows well, and the And it's programs. not a matter of paying attention. We've, no, no, we, he was we paying divi- we divide, to what we were doing. But I mean, as a council, we divide he and conquer to. to some right, degree. Agreed, agreed. And so my point is just that it's not that there were council members who were who were through laziness not paying attention to what's I, going on they had other things so that are you tell on. so you're cuz to the answer to your question is we absolutely did amongst the four council members on the workforce right. uh, so maybe we should have brought it to the full council and just been like hey make sure everybody's on the same page here cuz we don't want this someone to think this looks strange down the road again it easy to I say I mean if that I now. had had any inkling that this was going to be used as a political attack I may have done. I, I would have gone. I would have done the two things. One, that, yeah. I wouldn't have done approached it at all because I felt like I wasted so much valuable time uh, in in something that ended up getting blown up. Um, but two, I mean, yeah, I guess maybe I would have. I mean, I, you know, you and I, we we catch up regularly and fill each other in, and it, it's well, just I like mean, we're working so hard in separate paths well, because it's a crisis, and it is different that there wasn't right a lot now. of time to like. Be like, you know, thinking about, oh, how is this chess piece going to happen when they attack me for something I don't even know is a topic yet? Well, <laughs> you know well, what I two, mean? Two things. One. That was, we started that well before we even got, it was just COVID and recovery at that time. Yeah. We didn't even get into the police and the protests and the movements and things like that. Like that wasn't even on our radar. Well, I just... but um, And things not, were a lot less toxic. Not that people didn't have plenty of other things they were working on and not paying attention to task forces and committees they weren't serving on, which is, again, c- part of how this all works. But I think part of what has, has hurt us as a council is 
that we're not on the hall in the government center anymore together. Sure. So you don't sure. have the organic That's interactions so true, and conversations. And so true. So we don't, I mean, there are council members that I have not seen in person more than once in the last three months. There was the time we were all together uh, around when the protests started. So like early June. And that's the last time I've seen at least three or four council members in person was almost 10 weeks ago. And so, and I do think that we lose a lot of not only like building relationships with each other, but we also lose the opportunity to have almost like, I call them organic conversations, but almost like accidental conversations Those, the, where he, you say like, oh, yes. I meant to ask you about something. Or, oh, did, have you heard here's, about what we're here's doing? Here's the difference that would have made. It wouldn't have made, it wouldn't have it prevented a political attack from occurring. However, the organic conversations would have made more people not in that one committee, not in that one task aware force, of what was going on. aware yeah. so that there wasn't mass confusion yes. and people in the beginning saying, well, is there something here? Yes. I think everyone with a logical mind by the end of the process got to a point and said, yeah, there's no fire underneath the smoke that the political attacks were trying to drum up. And, and then they, have, they, and they are quite frustrated. So I do with, think some of the people who ultimately voted to like take y'all out of the mix there, I do think some of it was, well, I do certainly some of it was politically motivated. I do think some of it was just people being kind of confused and thinking, well... Those on the attack were politically motivated. Yeah. Those who got swept up into it, I think, is the latter. Yeah. Exactly. And so I do think that we, as a body, and I don't even mean just being council, but I mean like city government, I do think that it is... And I, I'd be interested... It'll be interesting. There will be studies done and books written and stuff about this year... Um, about the impact it has on organizations, I think. Because a lot of people have been talking about what impact is it going to have on the physical workplace? How will people build offices? Will they build offices? Will everybody just work remotely now? Like, how is this going to change industry? But also, like, what impact does that have on effectiveness of teams and organizations will be an interesting thing to study, too. Because I do think we've suffered as a council due to our inability to be together um, on a regular basis. Well, usually, I, and yes... And I'm, I'm, I have my finger on the pulse of what's happening in the private sector corporations on this topic. I think there's just this added nuts dynamic when there are literally like 11 plus one bosses. You know what I mean? It's not an organizational hierarchy where then, yeah. okay, this person reports to so these people. So maybe it's very different you know for us I mean? than so it is at a bank. I think it's or, just a yeah. hundred times more complicated. It's politics, right? Yeah. It's politics. Which is inherently political. So, I mean, we, we should never be fooled into being surprised when something gets made political because it is politics. But I think that the, the, it, and, it is frustrating, but it shouldn't be surprising. So uh, to, to cap this one off, I'll just say it's been clear that the work we've done is above board. And it's a damn shame that we're not going to be able to... Well, you are. Tell your good news. Help. But the good news is my board met today or uh, this week and um, voted unanimously to move forward as a private sector only solution um, to serve the win cohort three that is not just upward mobility like we've done in the past, but also now COVID relief. So I'm now back hard at work, kind of retweaking the plans based on the, the change. Um, but everyone has decided to pro rata pick up what the CARES Act funding would have done. Um, the other option, the three options were don't do it at all, wait till next year like we would have anyway. Two, um, do it, but don't provide educational stipends. But I fought against that one because I said we need to go with three if we're going to do something because you cannot expect people to go into this kind of training, the hardest training and, and professional thing they'll ever do in their, in their lives for six months, 
and think that the upward mobility distractions that follow them are, are going to not make this almost impossible to achieve. So we decided to go forward with that. I'm Meaning if they have to worry about like being able to pay their bills while they do this training, that's too much for distraction exactly. to be able to be effective. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so we're doing that, and now we're we're also concluding. So you're paying the final them while part. they're training, so that they yep. don't have to worry about that stuff. And the final the final puzzle piece is the small business recovery acceleration, where we help retool them. We took that money also out of the um, out of the CARES Act budget, and now um, I'm very close to solving that one as well. So that's the good news there. I think that has been uh, put to bed, and we're good to go. I think the only kind of final pieces are, as it relates to. Um, the other kind of attacks that are being thrown at me again with a, I think it's more of like a, a character assassination attempt than anything at this point. The other big thing is, well, Tark's in this nonprofit and Tark gets paid this amount of money and this and that. And all I'd say is nobody knows what, what these, they're making these attacks knows what my private sector life before all this was like. They don't know. And they see a certain salary that has been indicated that I make. And they're like, Oh, that's absurd or this or that. Like that is a fraction of what I used to make. And I'm not saying I'm worth it or not worth it. I'm just saying it is within the realm of that. It's a nonprofit that I built and I've decided to help with. But even beyond all of that, our job here in city council is a part-time job. So if someone has an ethical problem with me having another job, they have to have the exact same ethical problem with anybody else. Or, the- or they have to advocate for, and I know you're not on this side of this argument and I'm, I see both sides of this argument, but it's, you can't have it both ways. You can't, when Braxton talks about that this needs to be a full-time council, which for all practical purposes only means the salary changes because we all work 40 hours a week on this job or more anyway. So it is full-time in that sense, but it only pays $20,000, $25,000 a year. It either what ha- it really is, is it's a question at, after you decide to pay of how are you going to change the conflicts of interest policy? Well, and so what you could do, and there's a hundred ways you could do this probably, and it probably is done a hundred ways around the country. You know, Braxton, and maybe we'll have more and we'll talk about this, but if you paid council members 80000 or 100000 or whatever, and you said, but you cannot have other employment, that would be one way to eliminate a lot of conflicts of interest. It wouldn't eliminate them entirely because people have investments and, you know, whatever. But... Um, but you can't, you can't yell, you can't say like Braxton's off base thinking the council should be full time and then yell at somebody because they also have another job. Like it's, you gotta, the the, the arguments against me, which I just find laughable, it's laughable in a crying way, right? Which is Tark's been running around promoting FinTech for the community in a nonprofit sense, where I help recruit businesses and jobs here, where I help use FinTech for upward mobility in workforce development kind of settings. And he's on council where he gets to promote FinTech there too. Well, the bottom line is we all promote the things we're passionate about in all fronts. What makes it a conflict of interest in the way things currently are, did you, even the direct benefit thing is secondary to this, right? Which is also, did you make a formal decision, which this is laid out very specifically? Did you vote on something that would have brought money into your coffers directly? Yeah. Whether it's me in this or somebody in the real estate or builder or developer community, or if you're a CPA. Or in the hospitality anyone, industry. Exactly. Anyone benefits from being if on council in my, some yeah. reputational form. You cannot strip that out of it. It yeah. doesn't mean it's wrong. What you do with that is if it's right or wrong. Right. My being in the hospitality industry 
doesn't mean I can't advocate for the hospitality industry on council. Right. It means I couldn't go and say my specific company needs to be put at the top of the list for this grant. The whatever, premise like, they're making is you saying, yes, I support a music festival here next year. And you can't vote can't on that be because you're festival. in the liquor. Yeah, No, yeah. no. You're five arms lengths away, but you yeah. happen to be in a liquor industry that would be part. Well, guess what? Liquor is almost in everything. Yeah. So, like, I, you know, it's one of what? Nine people work in hospitality. So, if in you go. Yeah. The other side of this argument to that very point, either hospitality and liquor and, and that world or banking and fintech. Those that's a huge chunk of our community that needs representation. And they cross cut almost everything else. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, again, you can't. Don't be one of the people who say who's yelling when Braxton says we should be full time, and also be yelling that Tarek or I or anybody else has another job. Because you, it's got to be. You're either part time and you got another job, or particularly if you want to make serving in elected office accessible to more people in our community, which I would hope everyone would agree is a good thing, then. You don't want it to only be people who are retired. I don't want some of those, well, some of those idiots freaking more accessible to come into this. Well, the, they've shown their two the colors pro- in their. The attacks. process should should sort that stuff out over time. Is is the theory, but you shouldn't you shouldn't have a system that means that only people who are wealthy or retired can serve in office. Agreed. And so, if you want you want multi multi generational representation, if you want multiple people that come from different economic backgrounds. I want people that came from different economic backgrounds that is completely diverse, but there's one thing that unites them. They all achieved something that brings that expertise, that skill, that capability they've done to the table. I want somebody that's better than everyone else. But that's for that's for But I don't want that to be everyone started at the at the one yard line. I want to find people yeah. that have those perspectives, but they're not still struggling through them all. They figured out paths well, forward. Well, What's wrong with that? Maybe we do. Why is that a problem? I mean, there's well, there's also not inherently a problem with having someone on council who is still struggling with some of those problems because it gives us a, a very good perspective on what a lot of our constituents are dealing with. So again, voters have to make that decision. We each individually have to decide what makes someone qualified for office. But you can't you can't say we're going to pay them twenty thousand dollars a year. And expect them to not have other employment. My, That's my, not realistic. My, my last point on the me part of this story, which is, it would be, it would have been ridiculous if we didn't talk about it. Obviously, so we had to. Is I, I after my last exits and and kind of taking some time off, decided I was gonna spend a couple years giving back. So that's why I started this nonprofit. That's why I I ran and and serve on city council. And I am, I, all I'm trying to do is help and do the right things during this time. And I found myself in a circumstance where I had a certain skill set that could rapidly help a community in a crisis that it hadn't ever experienced before. So um, that's why I'm here. And I'm going to keep doing that until I'm not here anymore. And uh, the way I feel now, it could be sooner than later. But the bottom line is I'm not going to be bullied or cowed into... Um, into into being passive and quiet and hiding and not helping and doing the things necessary just because I'm forced to step up and defend the police if that's what I believe uh, the motives are behind what these attacks are or whatever. And I, I, I can't apologize for that. I can't. I do think that, that plenty of the motive behind the attack on you was personal. I, I do take... I do question your confidence that it was solely based on you supporting police, but that's neither here nor there. I believe that. One I of, firmly believe that. 
I think some people just don't like you. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, but... but <laughs> Why but, they don't like you is probably multifaceted. But. It wasn't hard for them to get a coalition formed of attackers yeah. once they decided to do it. But I put a barn burner speech out the Monday night council meeting right before midnight when they kept attacking CMPD. And then at 10 a.m. Tuesday morning, the next morning, the political attack... And Trap was waiting for me. I mean, well, how probably, else can you explain that? Probably wasn't the first time they decided they didn't like you. Yeah, but it's the um, first time they decided to orchestrate uh, an ambush. So one thing for clarification, because I've been asked this too, the way the votes played out on on sending that program or that use of dollars back to the drawing board, there was a substitute motion Yeah, why motion didn't you made. support me, man? Well, I did before I didn't. The, the point was that Ed, Julie, Braxton, and I voted to send it back to committee for reconsideration but for fintech hub to still be essentially eligible to ultimately be the partner in it if that was determined to be the best course of action or the best group to partner with um that failed and then the second vote was to send it back to committee to reconsider and carolina fintech hub was excluded from being considered which was weird a weird thing to vote on because Do you wish you in hindsight you didn't have much time to think about it. Do you wish you in hindsight had voted with Braxton to Braxton just to was make the only a point? one who voted against it kind of in, in protest. And I thought about it but the I knew exactly why you voted the well, way you right. did. You tried, it didn't, and you're the kind of guy that then votes, well, this is what option is left and we well, will do that. And it wasn't even just that. It was the fact that like did I did I want to vote against sending it back to committee because essentially by voting not to it it could be viewed as well, I don't want there to be a program to help people if it's not with the fintech hub, which is not which is not where I was. I was saying it's dumb to exclude the fintech hub from being considered if you're reconsidering it. You don't have to choose them, but why would you? It's it seemed punitive and, and petty to say we're gonna we're gonna make a point to say we're excluding them. Just decide not to use them if you want. But so I thought it was stupid, but I didn't want to vote against the idea of like, well, let's still try to find something yeah. to spend these dollars and help these people. Whatever that might be. I'll tell you what, man. I so have it was a weird so vote. much love and appreciation for my friend Braxton. For, uh, for, I mean, you as well. Like, I, I'm not saying, but Braxton really, like, stepped out publicly there and had my back because he knew what was right as well. And I think it, it just meant a lot to me. It meant a lot. Well, it, and, and that's one of the things that I always, and I think especially serving in office, you appreciate when you look at Congress, you look at whatever, is sometimes a vote is not as simple as it seems. And yeah. and you and you do have to think about that. You do have to think like, yeah, I can make this a protest vote, but am I actually voting to not create some other option just because I feel like the way this was handled was wrong? Or like, you know, when people write a bill and something gets attached to it and then they end up having a vote against their own bill. There's weird stuff that happens like that, and these votes end up being way more complicated than... From the outside looking in, you probably would assume. The other thing that obviously is um, an elephant in the room we'd have to mention, but I don't think we'll go too far into it because it's kind of still midstream, and I did mean that elephant pun completely intentionally, is um, your your cronies over at the NCGOP decided cronies. that they were going to uh, to fire back and say, well, if you're going to make personal attacks at, at TARG, we're going to make personal attacks at you. And so they had filed complaints against Councilmembers Mitchell and Ajmera. I'm not comfortable talking about those right now because those are being looked at and i'm sure will be adjudicated one way or the other in the not too distant future um i guess our city attorney is the one reviewing those the way he reviewed the accusations against you uh given that those, he's not made any statement about those i'm not comfortable making any statement about those yeah same um, here i have no idea 
So we'll let we'll comment on it, I guess, whenever I there look, is. I look forward. There is a conclusion to seeing how this all plays out. Seems to be some very interesting and concerning issues. Um, so we will let the lawyer handle that, and we'll comment. Let on me it when say it's one done. one thing though. And, I, and I'm telling you this like in all sincerity. I have never been this worn out. I can imagine. I am. I have been under daily attack for essentially two and a half months. Since our last podcast. That's when, was right before then, the June 2nd CMPD issue and, and, uh, and the, the protests had started. We haven't even done, we haven't even had an episode since the protests started. Like, and we were feeling bad then. Right. And I have been under daily attack house monitored by police, things like that. Like my, my family is over this. I'm, I, I have been at still after all these attacks and it is, it's a damn near full-time job to defend yourself on these attacks where I have attempted the best that Tark can to take the high road as many times as possible. But, um, Sometimes, it's just tiring. Sometimes you miss the exit. <laughs> it's yeah, after two months and, and when you're wired the way I am. But the, the bottom line is to this point, I have it has shown that I have been the one that was correct each time. There was not there was no fire under the smoke that was claimed. Um, so and that and that goes whether it was my work trying to help small businesses, my work trying to help workforce, my my work trying to have the clarify the commute to the community and salvage CMPD um, um, morale that what happened wasn't what was claimed on uh, on Fourth uh, Street. I mean, every I have been proven correct every time that I have had to step out and take a dangerous position. And it was always on a thousand decibel levels when the attacks were and and claims of ridiculousness were levied at me, and it was almost on dead silent mode when I was proven correct correct afterwards. And that is just exhausting. I mean, I am freaking exhausted. Speaking of things that are exhausting, one other thing, one other elephant in the room that I guess we should address. There's another elephant. Is that um, that we are now. Uh, like 10 days from the start of the Republican National Convention, which... Oh, yeah, that. Which... When I tried to salvage, not the politics, but the economic impact and health and safety so, uh, balance but for our small businesses and hospitality workers. Forgot about that So one we had too. the Dr. Rungi. Is that how you pronounce it? He was very specific about how you pronounce it. Not um, Whatever and, Vi said was not it. Yeah. Um, and he's, he... Oh, which I get. I don't like my name mis- being mispronounced. Yours gets mispronounced a lot, too. But uh, so the the good doctor who was hired by the RNC and is by all accounts I uh, called him by his first name during the meeting because <laughs> you couldn't yeah, yeah I, I was scared to try to pronounce it too after that um, who is by all accounts highly qualified uh, he's a North Carolina guy I don't know where he lives it was a very smart approach he took he came in with the shock and awe approach uh, to health and safety where he was like we're going over the top yeah. like it, there it's like a rap battle you take everything that someone's going to throw at you and you throw it all at yourself. Um, so there will be between like four and 500 people total in Charlotte. Presumably they'll be getting here a week from Sunday. Uh, the meetings will be Monday through Thursday. I think primarily Monday. There's nothing happening in Jacksonville now as everybody's well aware. It's like the NBA bubble, but without like extreme athletes. (laughs) I would love, although, although I would love to watch the RNC delegates play a game of basketball. Um, we'd need another hundred medics on standby. But, um, and, and as of, you know, whatever time it is right now on Thursday, 
August 13th, it is not expected that either the president or vice president will be in Charlotte uh, because he has said he'll make his acceptance speech of the nomination either at the White House or at Gettysburg. But again, stay tuned. Uh, that changes weekly. And the chief even kind of laughed. And he said, as of right now, we're not expecting either of them to be here. But Lord only knows. You know what my idea was? They haven't taken it yet. Cancel I the said, entire thing. I said, come to North Carolina and have Trump go to the most rural town in North Carolina within like two hours of Charlotte. And do the do do a live stream uh, acceptance and speech. Rockingham Motor Speedway. Think about it. Never in the modern day history of either political convention has it been even logically plausible for someone to go into a, a, a town or a county that couldn't hold thousands upon thousands of people. For the first time ever, that's something. And it's in the middle of, in his side, where his largest base is in rural America. Like, why would you? I would do that hands down. Not a bad idea. Uh, you could put him out on the Outer Banks, and he could be on the beach, and you could let his weird hair blow around in the wind. While Don't talk about your president that way. Yeah. Got to admit, his hair is weird. Your hair is weird right now, dude. But at least yours seems like real. Should we take a picture and put it up with the uh, with the when I post the podcast? Because this know. is I'm only sure, going to be audio. I'm sure all of your uh, your skater buddies would be impressed, dude. I'm I'm just like I've had you look my hair you in look five like months. a you look like a 17 year old angst filled skater teen. I don't usually put it all down. Like you're this welcome. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I take that as a compliment. Um, I feel that way. <laughs> So RNC, so DNC starts next week entirely now, virtual DNC, now. What is that? Uh, it's where we'll nominate the next president, Joe Biden, and his now, as of what two days ago, running mate, Senator Kamala Harris, who you will recall, and someone actually tweeted. I don't know if they tagged you in it, but tweeted me on Tuesday and said, "I recall from the podcast that you were an early Kamala supporter," and she was. She was like my first person when this whole race started. I was Team Kamala. And so I was glad to see that. I'd so I've seen and heard. Obviously, uh, I get my news elsewhere than you probably. Yeah, you, yours. No, I actually Alex watch. Jones, I right? watch them all. <laughs> Shut up. I, I watch them all. I go from I've John great, Oliver to I've the got a great Alex Jones news, Jeff on standby right now. Yeah, Eleven ten, all that. So, but but what the, the sentiment I'm hearing is that a lot of the more left edge progressives are not very pleased. Yeah, but I don't think of the people who most people thought that it was probably down to Kamala Harris, Val Demings, Susan Rice, a couple of others. If you assume that he was going to choose a woman of color, which I think many of us did at, towards the end, um, I don't think the, the reasons that people say, you know, they're not big on Kamala if they're you know, left wing of the Democratic Party, they wouldn't have liked the others either. You know what it bothers me for just a second about the, the, the Biden approach here is him coming out and saying, I'm going to choose a woman of color. Like, he, he didn't say it. He said he was going to choose a woman. A woman. Okay, he never, Yeah, he All never right, said Sorry, my bad. So a woman. The thing that gets under my skin about that, and this is from coming from somebody who literally runs programs designed to help women and minorities primarily, but we never make a decision based on those factors when we're going through their aptitude and assessments and their, the raw factors, we know we have to do that up front in the pipelining by putting it in the right places, by advertising on, on um, you know, Power 98, by going into community organizations in African-American communities, by finding women's groups that came. So you get it in front of them and then you make the decision based on who's the best. 
by coming out and filtering beforehand, you're, you're taking away from the woman or a woman of color if you went that route by saying, well, I'm filtering it and then I'm going to find the best one in that bucket. It's, I would rather them say, this is the best one out of everyone we had to choose from. Otherwise, it's, like, it's, just, it's just this like smoke and mirrors of pandering that I too often see, unfortunately, many times on your side of the aisle. <laughs> I think there's plenty of pandering on both sides of the aisle. But, That's true. But I, I do think that it... But this type of pandering I see on your side of the aisle. Well, there was undoubtedly a political calculus to making the statement that it was going to be a woman at the point that he made it in the primary. Now, if his premise was, I've already decided and narrowed it down to four, and the four best are, are women, women yeah. but he didn't do that. Well... You you don't you assume he didn't do that, right. but I I would also say do you think he did that? <laughs> no, probably not. But there was, if you take a pool of twenty, you know, theoretically good vice presidential candidates, and let's assume that half of them are men and half of them are women, it's not. I'd say it's probably pretty easy to assume that if you took if you figure out who the the top five of those were, that two or three of them would be women. I don't think there there are plenty of people that are pretty equally qualified, I'm guessing, to be vice president. And if you said, it's time that we put somebody either in the president or vice president position that is a woman. If to me, you are truly for women's equity, that should bother you at some level. That 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 I, series of events should bother you because what you're saying, in effect, what, when I, what I believe with women's equity and, and, and from that perspective is that women are as good or in some cases better than men in, in, in doing these tasks and being able to serve in these roles. So my premise is that maybe it's time for a woman to do it now. Maybe it's not. It depends which woman is ready and which and what other alternatives. But there have only been in 40, I mean, and there's actually been more than 45 combinations of presidents and vice presidents because some people who've served a second term had a different vice president, whatever. Let's call it 50. And there in, are systemic in, problems that exist in, in that system. I'm not disagreeing with in that. In 50 iterations of a president and vice presidential combination who were ultimately elected, well, not even, well, no, it's been more than that. It's been more than twice that many because you had the losing ticket. There's never been a woman who was elected president or vice president. I totally there's agree. There's only four times, there's only four times, once before we were born, and then... Sarah Palin, Hillary Clinton, and now Kamala Harris, where they've even been on a major party ticket. I agree. So the, it has always been, and there's only been pre, President Obama, who was a person of color. It has always been white men other than those five people. A thousand percent agree. And I'm also going to go as far as to say there are systemic injustices right with all, without all of those things. My, my question is, once you're there, once everyone's become woke, right? The, the strategic question is, do you flip... And, and go to the other far end of it? Or do you then use that wokeness to then say, going forward from this point, there is going to be true equality. So it's the, it's the whole premise of like, do you spend the next generation worrying about righting the wrongs and reparations no, and all I, that stuff? Or do you try to move forward not doing the, those, making those same mistakes in any direction? But That's to me is I, the premise of the difference between a conservative and a progressive viewpoint on today's issues. Maybe. I think that if the United States Senate and the United States House of Representatives, for this example, reflected the racial composition of our country better than they do, that it would be there would be a stronger case to it's say a Jeff Jackson gerrymandering issue we're getting into now, right? Well, no, I mean the Senate's not gerrymandered. The Senate is just what it is based on the states. Well, now the fifty states, we got to re redraw those, dude. 
they do seem arbitrarily Let's drawn. But <laughs> I mean, how did Rhode Island get to be so small and California got to be so big? But I do think that California. when you look at the United States Senate and you've got, I, I can't, I think it's just Booker and Harris, the only two black people in the United States Senate. There's one or two others that are really? that are non-white. There's only two black people in the Senate. I think so. I think it's Harris and Booker, and there's one or two others that are non-white but not black. Yeah, I think it's literally right. Um, And so if yeah, that is strange. So there is a there is not a representative composition of those bodies. I think if there were, if Congress was more or less comprised of a similar makeup to our population, you could say, well, maybe we are beyond the point where you should just say, I'm gonna pick a woman. But the fact is that if you know there are. A, you know, 10 people who you'd be comfortable having as your running mate that are all women, then it's not, it's not picking a lesser person. It's saying it's time that this be a woman, that a woman get elected vice president, assuming that Biden gets elected. And, and I've got so many good ones to choose from. I'm completely comfortable it saying, I'm like just going to use that winners pool. and losers here. <laughs> <laughs> That's a reference for only people who watch the council meetings. Oh no. Um, Anyway, it's what eighty-two days left, and oh I God. can't wait for this shit to be. I over. know that I then the coronavirus will be over. Be first everything time, might be the first time I ever used. I, that dude, level November fourth is great. Schools are reopened. Just cursed on the podcast. You have to put a. Uh, You've been cursing a lot lately. I'm not going to lie. Cursed in the council meeting. You did. I mean, you. You've, and it uh, got used. That sound clip got that's used the, a lot. At least the day. second time you have cursed in this episode. Like usually, cursing is my thing. Yeah. But you've started cursing during the pandemic. I'm on tilt, man. Um, but I am really ready for this election to be over. Um, well, then, then the coronavirus <clears throat> can end and we can go back to just normal stuff. And that's going to be I hope great. so. <laughs> Remember when y'all, y'all's party made that thing? Yeah. Yeah. And then your party mishandled it. So. <laughs> well, we we all have a lot of... We all, you, you did all the work in the, that Wuhan laboratory. <clears throat> I'll tell you that. Well, me and Bill. Speaking of which, real quick, it, it would be impossible for us to walk away, even though it's not directly in our purview, but it's going to be indirectly in our responsibility to provide support and recovery relief for is this debacle with the schools. And, and I I am just like, now it's plan C or whatever, or triple D's, five E's. I don't even know. That's diners, drive-ins and dives. That's a whole different plan. So (laughs) thanks for that. Um, So um, we should get Guy Fieri on the podcast sometime. I bet you're you're friends with him. No, but I look the same. Actually, you look more like him than I do with your strange hair. But, uh, he actually does seem like a likable guy. I uh, I was I walked past and my wife and son were on a Zoom call with their teacher, the no. guy here, their teacher this year, all the other parents He'd be a good as they're teacher. planning for this. It, dude, I will tell you as as somebody God bless teachers. It's well, no, no, no actually, not just speak truth. Yeah, yeah, of course, God bless them. <laughs> but like right now, God bless parents, bro. Like, you, listen, I I'll give you a pass because you don't exist in a world. Where you experienced at the end of last year's school year. In a world where your kids are at home 24 hours a day. I'm going to tell you something. The teachers, they at least signed up to do this. (laughs) To be clear, you did too. No, I didn't. You chose to have children. Uh, my wife chose. I didn't even know it was happening. Right? <laughs> they're no, not even yours. And, and I don't mean to take anything away from teachers. Heads. These teachers right. are great, and they're they're doing their best with the challenging situation. But it we it is it is not fair to overlook what is happening with parents, particularly. And I'm not going to go like, I'm not going to go one route and say moms, right? Because it's not all moms. Um, but whoever is in your house, it's the mom. In, in my house, it is absolutely the mom. Somebody is probably trying to take a primary role as really being their children's teacher. Definitely Krista. 
Oh, see, I mean, it's it's only right that uh, that she do it because I would be terrible at it. Yes, I'd lose patience. I mean, I'd, I'd lose it in a second. But in order, and and the problem with this is the kids at least at some level have an inherent respect for the teacher. In general, I know I'm I'm painting with a broad brush. Like the level of respect they have for the parent, not because they don't respect their parents, but because that's your parent, right? You're like, I don't want to do it, mom. You know what I mean? Like, and after a, after the first month, it's kind of like. Oh, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna do that math work now. This sure, be, I'll get right on it. This will be interesting to to watch play out. It's um, gonna be a disaster. Well, it, and, it's literally you might as well write off and basically make school thirteen thirteenth grade at this point well, because th- this is a lost year. And your, and your kids, you know, I'm not as worried about. But there are a lot of exactly. there are a lot of young people in our community who rely on school to have a safe place to get away from a bad situation at home. Who rely on it for you know having two meals a day that they can count on. Um, who rely on it for a lot of things. And so... This know, is a regressive action. And they talk about the... What is it? The summer... Summer slide or whatever. Is that what they call it? Where kids, you know, they're away for two or three months and then they've forgotten a lot of what they learned the year before. The the twenty, the COVID slide... Or and when, that's where we get back to the, te- yeah. the poor teachers. God bless the teachers, which is... It's now they're trying their best, but... Like literally, in some cases, they only have to see their kids for two or three or four hours a day on Zoom versus them running around like spilling glue in each other's hair. Right. But at the other side, here's where I think the real travesty is going to be for the teachers. When all this is done and everyone's back, trying to bring people back up on the testing levels, that is going to be the worst nightmare that our teachers in public schools have ever experienced. And right now there's a mass rush on private schools that are opening. Well, I would just say anybody out there who wants to help, find, and I, I wish I had one off the top of my head. Maybe we'll think of something and I'll post it. But um, find organizations that are helping to address food insecurity issues because yeah. there are so many children who go to school and they get breakfast there and they get lunch there. And if they don't have school for a year, yeah. they're not going to know where their next meal is coming it's from. Fi- it's food insecurity. It's it, There's a bunch of things like the, the domestic um, uh, abuse. There's um, But th- those are the things that are like direct today problems. They affect a large amount of people, but it's, but it's still a minority. I think the broader thing is when you look at our area median income, and the same way we talked about regressive taxes last year, I'm talking about the regressive impacts of, of remote learning. Like kids that are in that top 30 or 40 percentile of, of wealth are going to do better at this. They're going to have the resources to make up for it. They're going to the have gap, a laptop they can use. The gap, the gap, not just the digital divide, but the educational divide, which we all agree, education is the key to upward mobility. That gap between the haves and haves nots is unfortunately going to expand to impossible levels. One thing about the families who, you know, maybe it's two parents and two kids and they yeah. live in a 1200 square foot house. What, you know, if one parent's having to work from home and the other parent's having to teach from home with the kids, what happens when both parents can't? Yeah. And or when they both physically think about how many Charlotte in city employees work in Charlotte water or all these places where they're out, their job doesn't, they don't can't, they don't get on yeah. zoom to do their job. Yeah, I mean, so there's all sorts of challenges, you know, the, a, lot, a lot of family, most families probably don't have multiple computers or maybe the high-speed internet access they'll need for video conferencing if their yeah. kids are doing that. So, I mean, there's so many challenges, um, and I can, 
I, there's never been a day where I coveted a seat on the school board. It's it's really? probably got to be the most thankless Did elected office. Did you see office. they had like 16,000 people on their live stream the other day? But I can tell you, there's, we have like there's never been a moment when I wanted to be on school board less than when they were going through the decision of how to handle the You did, you did see that, right? I like we have it, what two or three hundred tops. Yeah. they had over sixteen thousand people well, live on their live stream. Because I mean, there's yeah, everyone's two, waiting to hundred two hundred thousand kids. In everyone's CMS. yelling at the uh, at the. You should have seen like the mom sites that my my so wife's probably on. Probably over a hundred thousand. Oh. Uh, definitely over a hundred thousand. Maybe over two or three hundred thousand CMS parents. Yeah. Um, in our in our county, all of whom were thinking. What my next year looks like is almost entirely based on this decision they make. Exactly. So, it's yeah, I would imagine people one. had a, a vested interest in I'll tell you, November 4th can't get here fast enough when this will all be over. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Well, there'll be a big thing that'll be over, uh, I guess not officially until January. but the, You guys decided the pandemic's not over until January? No, the, uh, the disease that is Donald Trump. Touche. You got, yeah, good slap back. Um, all right. Well, that was about, uh, I'm sure we 10, didn't cover 10, like a hundred. So, someone's going to, someone's going to tweet us and be like, y'all skipped. Yeah. And that and thing like, is oh like, my God. Oh my God. Like that's massive. <laughs> I don't know what that is now, but I'm it's sure you'll be tell the equivalent us. Of, you missed the pandemic. <laughs> we will try to do better than monthly episodes. Um, do we, better. we are on a break from regular council meetings, but we do have our committee meetings still ongoing. Um, but we'll we'll check in more frequently. I'll tell you one thing we didn't cover. We can do it next time. The Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, we didn't even mention well, I mean, that. We talked about all the protests around the Floyd. No, we talked about the police angle. That is that yeah. is to me not well, the same thing. Well, I said thing. the protests that came in the wake of the killing of George Floyd. and But that's all by far things, expanded beyond yeah. that conversation. But I think all these things are inextricably linked. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, we'll, uh, I'm sure, have plenty more to cover. We'll try to do it sooner. Last question for you. We'd have any... I don't even know that I've talked about this with you since then. That was a pretty historic 100 episode with two former mayors. What's your what's your gut feel on that? Oh, that was great. I mean, I I love one of actually my favorite things about being on city council has been the food. Well, not anymore. We feed That's ourselves true. now. Yeah. Um, has been the opportunity to get to know a lot of the folks who came before us, and so. You know, whether it's those two guys or Mayor Knox, who I've gotten to know, Eddie Knox. Um, being able to to sit down with some of the folks who've been doing this for decades before we were around and hear those stories, it does... Those two guys are quality dudes, man. Incredible. And, but it's interesting because while the landscape changes, you know, back then they didn't have city email, city cell phones, whatever. Um, it probably was more legitimately a part-time job. And yet they were still dealing with problems, all of which when you talk to them, you can, you go, oh, that's kind of like when we dealt with whatever. And so it's like the things evolve and the, the, it's a different version of the same problems and the same challenges. And like, you can relate to someone who served on city council 40 years ago. Cause they, you know, people have the same frustrations. It was around land use or whatever. And it might've been back then that someone was building a six story building outside of uptown. And now <laughs> we've would laugh at something like that being controversial. But so the scale of things changes or the, the way that information is delivered changes, but it's still the same core issues. I just love, I don't know um, though. I don't know that the, this doesn't feel like the same core issues anymore. 
they do mostly to a person, Republican or Democrat, uh, and regardless of the era, say that they feel like there was a better bipartisan working relationship in politics back then. And maybe that's just like, you know, looking back with rose-colored glasses and remembering it better than it was. But I, most everyone I've ever talked to that served, you know, 10 years ago or more says, whether it was Charlotte City Hall or the legislative building in Raleigh or Congress or whatever, that they did seem to have better working relationships. Um, I'm always, I've always been a glass half full kind of guy. I think we as a nation are in really, really big trouble right now. Like trouble, like at a level where we haven't been at it from an internal perspective in, in the last century. Well, a, a opinion that you won't find popular or comfortable, but I think if, and it is an if, not a win, I'm, I am wholeheartedly ignoring polling and anything else because my party bought into that in 2016 and yeah, we, we ate our words. Um, if Donald Trump is defeated on November 3rd, I hope that the Republican Party has a reckoning because there are, there are people who are quality, well-intentioned public servants in the Republican Party, and they have largely been quiet as your party has been hijacked by Donald Trump. And I'm not saying if Donald Trump had hijacked the Democratic Party that we'd but have handled it any better. what do you mean by hijacked? Because here's Donald my Trump point. Donald Trump does not represent the values that the Republican Party says that they stand for. Here's the one thing that that really actually admire, and I don't, I never talk about this stuff. You you won't go anywhere and find my opinion on Donald Trump, literally. But I'll say this one thing to you: the one thing that really that I think the reckoning that we have to have is the really the core of fiscal conservatism. Like we are that that has not party really is been conservative, right. But I'm just saying, like we're supposed to own that. Yeah. Right. So to me, so I'm not going to get into all the other, because I feel like I personally over the last two months, like I don't know what's going on in actuality behind the scenes, what the guy feels, does or whatever. But I'll tell you one thing, my trust and faith in the media and in those with in their intentions of the attacks, like I've seen firsthand how nasty and how untrue it all is. But you so, don't even have to assume that the media is right about Donald Trump. You can just assume that John McCain and Lindsey Graham and all of these people, Ted Cruz, you can assume that they were all right. They all know Donald Trump the person, not Donald Trump the person portrayed by the media. And they all said to a person, this man is unfit and unqualified to be president. He is not a Republican. He is not a good person. And then they have cowered in the corner. But look, for John politics McCain, is politics, dude. I get it. And I'm not saying that we we always they criticize bets, the people that need to be criticized. They pick ponies. They do all that stuff well, every hour of every day. Donald, I don't trust Donald Trump is not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. But he has been allowed to take the mantle for that party. And I think that if we and, I, and I'm history, not saying I'm not saying that only long term history yes. is ultimately going to judge this time here. It is too it is too <laughs> and I divisive would, of a time. To I will judge happily be written on the other side of that history. Then maybe maybe but, not, man. Well. Yeah, it's it's. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. here to defend nor attack the entirety of any individual. I just don't think that had a George W. Bush like character who my party did not like. They freaking do. Yeah, now everyone's no. like George W. Bush. We missed those days. Well, Y'all freaking hated that dude. I would take. And now you're like, oh, look at this elder statesman now. But that because don't you see? History judges things differently than in the time for, you're there. For all of his faults. He can exhibit compassion and empathy 
and like act like he actually cares about anybody but himself. So faking and things, he's, and he's an I'm not saying Republican. he faked, but I'm saying if you prefer someone who kind of like, whether you believe him or not, at least is good at faking what they're saying versus bluntly saying what's on their mind. I'm not well, defending Ted, or anything. Ted I'm just Cruz saying, bluntly is that says a what's on his mind? He doesn't come across as a compassionate person. I do think that he has very strong convictions tied to the Republican See, principles. That was what I viewed as, I think as, he's as an if you asshole. want a micro example of that, uh, is real specific. It was the difference I viewed the RNC debates over the last couple months between Trump on one side and Cooper on another, where they're both do if, maneuvering and doing what they can behind the scenes to achieve an outcome. But one of them saying it bluntly up front and the other one is doing a politician thing in saying the things people want to hear when behind the podium. And that I am sick of the latter. I am sick of that in politicians because you don't know what they believe. You don't know what to trust. It's all, everything is political. Roy Cooper also has a, a lifetime's worth of a track record of standing up for certain things that the Democratic Party is rooted in. Donald Trump hasn't ever had a, a set of principles in his life. And again, I actually... Man, how can you say something I actually, like that? I actually challenge... You're basing it on media, the, your interpretation of him that you've learned from the media. Lindsey Graham's and John McCain's and Rick you, Romney's you, and Ted Cruz's. If you're Cruz's judging and, me on what you learned in the Charlotte Observer, no, I'm the devil. But if... <laughs> Literally. But if Richard Venroot and Andy Doolin and Warren Cooksey, and if all of those people came and told me that you were a bad person... I'd start to wonder. Now, if, again, I, if assuming I don't know you. So if all the people in your own party are calling you out. What about the all the people that before he decided to run for office were giving him awards and praising his name around? Politics changes everything. We, we know plenty of awards given out to people because of the Ask Michael Bloomberg how politics changes your how you're viewed. My whole point. That guy walked on water. Ran for office and everyone saw as he was shredded by shrewd politicians. Well, that literally he he was uncovered for for I don't even believe that that was him that we saw. I believe they they created a characterization of him. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, we I'm got, just saying we got politics track. is inherently freaking nasty. But this but and, and there is constant character assassination. All of that is throughout. true, and and it is also true that Donald Trump has been the biggest wedge political wedge in our country in you and I's lifetime. For, and there's a others, lot, a I'm lot not saying true or not, that. others in, in, of other political positions and, and sides of the aisle would have said that's how they felt during the Obama administration. But it was more of a Cooper-esque approach of smooth and comforting talk while being left out and being maneuvered behind the scenes rather than bluntly doing it in front of your face. This is why we don't talk about national politics, by the way. Anyway, so hopefully on November 4th, y'all can uh, have a, a come to Jesus with yourselves. And, uh, About an hour, hour 15, hour 20 minute uh, episode here where um, we covered a lot of ground, but we didn't go too deep into any of the, the, the monster issues. All who, right. Who are you voting for uh, for uh, soil and water uh, commissioner? I'm just kidding. I tried uh, to say the most ridiculous thing I could think actually, of. Actually, I think that is on the ballot. It is it? <laughs> yeah. Is that Nancy uh, Carter. Carter? She's not up for re-election. Um, we'll, t- we'll have an election uh, yeah. issue, issue later. I think I can safely say, unless y'all put somebody wonderful up for soil and water, I won't be voting for any Republicans this year. And I and I have frequently voted for at least one uh, in different races, judges and things like that. Uh, I'll vote for a Democrat occasionally. Yeah, but I don't think it will be this year. There's just, there's just not many good ones. Um, 
there's one Republican I like running for office this year, but uh, they won't be on my ballot. So, um, I'm not running, huh? Can you believe we're only just into the second quarter of this term? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Doesn't that make you sick a little bit? It's been strange. Oh, and Charlotte MLS is delayed a year. They won't oh, be until there you go. We're going to have a sports segment of our show, but it's too late now. Um, but the Charlotte Independents are playing, and they'll be playing this Saturday night. And you can watch it on ESPN+. Plus. Playing Memphis 901. Go Independents. I need to start watching sports again. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. All right. Like, subscribe, rate, share with your friends. Remember that one time I beat you in the Roval? Well, yeah, because I weigh more than you. That was a reference to a scooter race we had on a NASCAR track. Which Rubbin's racing. I don't know why like people let us do the things we think of, but well, we, we appreciate that they do. Crazy. I'm tired of just getting beat up all the time. I'm ready to do something fun. All right. We'll be back. Episode 101 of R&D in the QC. We're here behind the golden microphone signing off.